Hello and welcome to the Brave Business Podcast brought to you by accounting, tax, audit and advisory firm Blick Rothenberg. Brave by name and brave by nature, this podcast is different. Aimed at entrepreneurial businesses, we focus on providing practical guidance, timely insights and professional opinions from industry experts, helping you make informed decisions for your business. I'm Declan Curry, journalist and broadcaster. In this episode, we're looking at the often overlooked issue of mental health among entrepreneurs. We'll ask what entrepreneurs can do to help manage their mental health issues and where they can go for professional advice and support. With me to discuss it, Nina Shah, who's Chief Executive of Blick Rothenberg, and our guest Phil Ives from Being Partners, and uh, Awareness and Alignment Coach Rob Beck. Welcome to the three of you to our discussions. Uh, Phil, welcome back in your case, because Thank we've you. spoken before on uh, previous episodes of uh, this podcast, and we sort of started the discussion that we're going to have today. Just remind us what... Beam Partners is what it does. So the short version is, uh, personally, I spent 20 years as an operator, um, owning, running a number of different businesses, and then went to the dark side of business advisory about uh, 10, probably 11, 12 years ago. Um, and uh, today I'm a partner in a, a company called Bean Partners, and we offer a range of services that are very much along the lines of uh, a typical investment bank plus consulting. Um, and uh, we are here to support ambitious uh, CEOs and business owners in their journey through scaling businesses and funding businesses and or ultimately selling businesses. And in giving that advice, you're drawing on your past life as an entrepreneur yourself. Tell me a little about that entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, there were three different businesses over the course of 20, uh, 20 years. They were all fast growth businesses, so I can look at the paperwork and say uh, they all did incredibly well. Uh, and there were parts of that journey that I very much enjoyed, and there were parts of it that were an absolute nightmare, uh, which was the reference, I guess, I made on the previous podcast mm. that sort of led to going a bit deeper on some of that element because uh, uh, I struggled to get through life for a period of time in my first business. We have this image of entrepreneurs as these sort of swashbuckling types that are nimble and fast and agile and swooping and are hugely successful taking advantage of opportunities. And, and your businesses were successful, but sure. there is a cost. As I say, three businesses, they were all fast growth businesses. A couple of them were, I think, technically what they call a gazelle business. So we enjoyed the kind of growth of 25, 30% every year, year on year for a minimum of six years. And uh, what I realized as that happened that uh, what comes with growth is complexity. What comes with fast growth is fast complexity, uh, which can be very challenging to then deal with if you've never done it before. And if you, as as I felt, feel like you're very much on your own in having to sort out the problems that start to pop up and the inefficiencies that, that arise. And um, I somewhere between ig ignored uh, or didn't realize how the stress levels were building and building over the course of that period. And I, I, I equate it with, uh, uh, I think apparently if you turn up the temperature in a, in a room one degree every hour, nobody notices it happening until there's a sudden moment when you go, this is unbearable. Uh, and and that was, what, was that, what was that moment for you? Well, there was no, there was no speci specific trigger for it other than I think it had just built up to a certain point. But I remember the moment vividly, which is, uh, it was a Saturday uh, I was out for lunch with my wife and kids and um, I was given the menu and I literally couldn't read the menu because the words were floating all over the place and got home that afternoon and couldn't remember how to make a cup of tea and uh, on the back of that I had to step out of the business for the best part of three months. 
it's a difficult story to tell. Yeah, first, um, first time I've actually told it publicly. And, I, and I'm reluctant to sort of extract details like we're at the dentist. But I'm I'm curious as to what is going through your mind when that moment hits, when you're not able to read the words on that menu, when you're not able to remember how to make a cup of tea. What is your brain telling you? Oh, well, I think my brain at the time was telling me that I had failed that I was the only person to get this so badly wrong that I was some kind of basket case or, or fruit loop and other people know the, the way out and, uh, and and I didn't and I just I hit the wall the business had hit the wall at the same at the same time and I just I just had to get away from it at that point how do you start to recover from that uh, it helps to have a sympathetic family around you um, there was a bit of shock and awe, I suppose, in so much as, in my case, I was on some fairly heavy-duty medication quite quickly. Uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, I personally found uh, all very helpful to sort of just break the programme, break the habit that had developed over time. <coughs> uh, and then ultimately, the thing uh, that I started to do that I wish I'd done 10 years before, uh, which would have been the fire prevention element, was to actually proact to put myself before the business and get to realise that had I done that, the business would have been a better business any, anyway. So it was then with, with awareness and, and a sense of proactivity about managing myself and my mental health that I managed to sort of get back in the saddle. We'll develop those thoughts a, a little later because I want to get that sort of self-help kit sure. uh, 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 and assemble that for uh, for all of our listeners. The The first step, you mentioned a number of things that you did to start yourself on the road to recovery mm -hmm. what was the very first step it was acknowledging what was going on I mean, that may sound rather a dull a dull answer but my hand was forced but I, I had to look my wife in the eye and say I just literally cannot do this anymore uh, and got myself to the doctor on the Monday morning that, that was the start of actually moving on uh, had I done that I don't know probably a year two years before then uh, it would have been a, an altogether more manageable scenario and given that you will have had people telling you all the way up to then what a great success you'd been, how successful yep. the business were, that stereotype of entrepreneurs as fearless, it's quite a thing to acknowledge that. It is, and yet it appears to be very prevalent. Um, when, you, when you look at the various research that's been done on this, I think it was the Forbes research I was reading that pointed out there's this exponential um, likelihood for entrepreneurs to suffer mental health challenges at some point in their journey. I think it's 72% versus the average member of the public is 41% that they'll suffer some kind of mental health. Now, there's a whole chicken and egg conversation around why, why exactly is that, obviously. Um, but you know, that is the reality, and yet it's, it's not out there as a thing to talk about or to admit. Um, there's, there's one book I remember reading which bucks the trend on that, which is called a hard, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by an, an American chap called Ben Horowitz, who on his route to becoming a billionaire, because of course he's a billionaire, um, he makes the point it was when he woke up to realising he didn't need to keep it all to himself and put on the polish and say everything's fine, don't worry everybody, but actually started to acknowledge to himself in the first instance and then others around him that uh, it was possible for others to step up and support and work together and combine around the problem and rather than a, around the people issues. But the, the pressure to do that, to have that polished surface, to have yep. that shiny, smiling face, yep. all of us feel it, don't we? Uh, I, think, I think so. Um, you know, w whether that helps or not, uh, you know, Rob will show a bit of advice mm. on that maybe in a, in a little while. On Sundays, I thought that was exactly the right thing to do when I'd 
you know, listen to another Tony Robbins tape and about putting the cape on before you walk into the office. <clears throat> and sometimes I sort of tricked myself into feeling okay that day, but I, w I wasn't dealing with actually what was really going on underneath. And sure enough, in time, that, that came to the surface. Rob Begg, uh, you're an awareness and an alignment coach. Let me bring you properly into our conversation. What's your perspective on this? Well, I think, firstly, Phil's willingness to, to lay his cards on the table and be open about it uh, says a lot. And I, I believe that one of our greatest superpowers as human beings and, and as a, uh, whether we're an entrepreneur or otherwise, is our willingness and ability to be vulnerable. You know, that that's a great step forward in resolving some of the taking the pressure off that we might be feeling is that just that being prepared to open up and admit that all is not as it might appear to be um, and a lot of Phil's story resonated with with my own I, I don't think it's an untypical journey I just think people's willingness to show their hand on how they're where they're at is is a bigger problem tell me a little about your story your journey uh, yeah, so entrepreneur. I've never, I've never been on a payroll. I've never had a job. So um, left school, decided I'd like to do something for myself. Got talked into going to university by my parents because back in the day it was there's a thing to do that safe to fall back on. Didn't really engage with my course, uh, and then fell into business by accident through someone I knew. Stayed in business, built a business, and I, in fairness, I had a really great time for a lot of the time, and we experienced fairly dramatic success quite quickly, largely on the back of me bringing someone into the business to, to plug, a, plug a hole that I had. And he had a much stronger belief system about what was possible than I did. And I, I bought his belief. Um, and so we, we experienced, we went 200%, 250%, And um, I turned around one day and all of a sudden I had a business operating seven days a week on four sites with 35 employees. And I didn't know which way was up. Uh, and it didn't seem to matter. You know, Phil talked about complexity, and all of a sudden, I had what started as a really simple business, where we essentially sold one product. It was really simple, really successful. I had now had a complicated business on my hands that I'd unwittingly created for myself. Did you feel that you were not in control of it? Very much so. I was. I was trying to trying to find ways of getting control back, and of course. I didn't know then what I know now, but you know, control is the it's another one of those great paradoxes. Um, you know, the more you try and control something, the more it indicates that you're feeling out of control, and our feelings are always what generate the outcomes. So, um, but yeah, I definitely felt out of control, and I felt that. I, and at the time, I had a young family, and um, I I just felt I was never present in my life. I was always in my mind, and the mind's obsessed with the future and the past, and we'll maybe explore it later, but none of us have ever spent any time in the future or the past. We've never had an experience of the future or the past. We've only experienced an eternal now, and yet the mind doesn't want to dwell in now. So I forget your original question, Declan, but I just felt I wasn't in my life anymore. I didn't, and I didn't really know how to live or how to sort the problem. So what does that mean, not being in your life? Does that mean the things were happening on a day-to-day -day basis, but you felt they were happening to someone else or you um, were an no, observer? I, was very, I felt very aware that they were happening to me, but I was, I think I was so inwardly focused on how do I fix this problem? How do I sort myself out? And I turned to the world as many people do, personal development, self-help, personal growth, mindset, all that stuff. I mean, I've got a bigger library than, than, mo than most in that domain, but 
I think not when I say not being in my life, life life happens now, and I was always somewhere else mentally. So if I was go and watch my children playing uh, at a cricket match or a rugby match or, or or whatever, I I wasn't really watching them. I was there and I was there physically watching my children, but mentally I was come Monday, what am I going to do? And this was more than just being preoccupied, more than just having things on your mind. I think it became increasingly um, a dominant feature in my life where I just wasn't able to enjoy life. I was, and, and I was very guilty of playing the comparison game. I think that's a very prevalent uh, game that entrepreneurs play, people play in general, is you know, measuring my sense of self-worth relative to my success. You know, if someone's got a bigger business or a bigger boat or a bigger car or, or, or just got more evidence of a lifestyle and therefore I'm not as good as they are or there's something missing. So you don't see yourself as a success until you match what it, someone else has done. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I had my self-worth benchmarked against my business. You, uh, you know, and I look back now and think it's a, I think it's a common game to play, yeah, but I look back and think that was madness. That's a game you cannot win. What was the turning point? Getting you know a bit like Phil shared early on, getting to a point where I just couldn't I couldn't cope anymore. And I, in fairness, my wife was way ahead of me on that. I was in denial about my mental health for a long time, and she would say to me um, periodically, "I think you're depressed." And I'd say, "I'm not depressed." I would get I would get really defensive about it, and have a go at her for for even daring to suggest such a thing. Um, but yeah, accepting, but like Phil said, surrendering to the fact that actually my business was just reflecting what was going on in me and, and accepting that I had to sort myself out. Nimesh from Blick Rothenberg, you talk to clients all the time. Do you hear stories like this from other clients? Yeah, I suppose, Declan, um, I'm, I'm the imposter here, really, because I'm not an entrepreneur. Uh, I am in the privileged position of running a very successful accountancy firm, but the the skill set that I have, my technical skill set is tax. And where that's taken me has been meeting lots of entrepreneurs over my career, 20-year career, at various stages, but they tend to be around the growth phase and then ultimately the exit phase. And some of the things that both of you have talked about really resonate in terms of my experience when talking to entrepreneurs and you see some of those cracks appearing. It is really lonely. Um, I think people forget that as well. A lot of the clients I've had over the years have been um, owner managers. They've been the sole founder. They haven't had the team around them as well. The business has morphed all around them and they've not managed to construct. And it's not through any accident or lack of design. It's been uh, the business has just overtook themselves. And suddenly they are the focal point of, you, you mentioned, Rob, the 35 people that I've seen. Uh, add another zero on that or even two zeros on that as well and you're still the focal point and some of my clients have talked to me in the past to say they walk through the office and all the eyes are on them and they're expected to make the decisions and when you're a small business when you start out as a startup fast growth business that's okay um, that you have got that control and what I've found with a number of my entrepreneurial clients over the years has been they tend to be control freaks as well and so when you lose that control and also the suggestion from me that actually is it now time to bring in a cfo a professional cfo a professional cmo you can't be everything 
um, that actually that concept is really alien to them um, because they've never had that infrastructure and in especially starting out, starting out as a small business but that support network as well just having that around them is super important because you do need that helpful friend internally I probably need someone externally as well but they don't have that and often I come into the discussions and say that various points of their their growth journey um, and I've done a lot in the exit world as well and they suddenly sort of open up to me to say this is all the stuff that's going on and I'm there prepared to talk about tax technical issues but actually spend very little time talking about any of those things it's actually what's going on to the surface of the business the surface of the entrepreneur and what it actually means and both of you have talked about um sort of exiting the business well which i think has been really the crunch point for me in and the theme that comes out a lot where you where you've set up this business and it's been all your emotional energy and the sacrifices as well you mentioned about the family sacrifices not being present in the moment as well everything is more important um and, and, and the business is more important than everything else and when it gets to exit point and you've got these offers that have come at you and again i'm being asked to say well assess some of these offers what how how would this typically work what 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 do we think about getting into bed with this certain private equity or vc or trade buyer um and it's very intensive um it's intensive for me as an advisor so i can't imagine what the founders going through um and sort of being sat alongside many businesses over the years going taking through that exit process and i've seen on more than one occasion i could probably it's over uh, i could count double digits at least um where the business owner has turned around when it's got to point of sight loads of time and money's been spent and you're there to sign those documents and they can't go through with it it's like selling a child or the equivalent of selling a child and that emotional drain of um this is happening now and the prize might be a big check of nine digits and ten digits in some mm -hmm. cases that is nothing compared to what someone has put in to that business and also the loss then of sense of identity and that has dawned on them at that point where they have to put their signature on that spa um, at the end it dawns on them that this is now no longer mine and that's a huge wrench for uh, a number of entrepreneurs that i've spoken to so i've had one entrepreneur I can only think of one uh, where they've said, I can't wait to sell this business. It's been a real anchor in my life and I'm never doing this ever again. And they were half the age of me, but looked twice the age of me. Mm. And uh, that was quite telling. And actually they've gone off and sold their business for a large amount of money. And they're in a very, very solid space. Um, and they've, they've, they're traveling the world now. Mm. Um, mm. But that was their purpose after the business had sold. Um, and I think that's the bit, that's the key, really, that that loss of purpose, that loss of identity, going through all that that journey um, to getting to that crunch point of exiting. Uh, that, that, that's that been the thing that's been sort of telling to me, sat on the other side of those entrepreneurs and business owners. Phil, you were nodding. Everything you just said resonates. You know, one of the things we increasingly try to do when we start talking to business owners about selling their business is to get clear of what, what, what next because if you haven't got some clarity on what next and it sort of feels like it's all over in that moment when you do or as you, as you say sometimes don't sell your business most common phrase i've ever heard business owners use to describe their businesses is their baby i mm. mean that, that is how they feel about it so how does it feel when you kiss it goodbye never to never to see it again um so with, without any sense of what comes what comes next you have no context actually 
for exiting your business. And without, you know, definition of context is that which gives meaning. So there's just no meaning to getting rid of the business and therefore the identity disappears in the, in the process. In, in the way that these business sales are structured, it's not often a cliff edge as well. It's not that you sell, write the check, that's it, you're gone. There's some kind of transitionary <coughs> period as well. It can be quite long. And that in itself is also really challenging. And I know that one of my recent clients really struggled with being answerable to their private equity investor. Yep. And it caused a huge strain on their relationship, so much so that they broke up with their partner, um, sadly turned to alcohol, um, and they had to leave the business. And that was such a big defining moment for them that they were constantly just fed up with having to be answerable and having this complete shift in their pattern about what they had to do on a month-by-month basis. Um, And in the end, and it only took six months this to just spiral uh, from their relationship breaking down and 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 turning to alcohol to actually them deciding that I, ca- I can't do this anymore so that was also quite interesting as an example but I, that was a very extreme example but I've seen others where um, it's been equally severe that they just haven't been able to get on board with the fact that they do now have a boss they're not used to it yeah. they haven't thought about that before they've started that process because there's a lot of things an owner can do about that so that they get a better deal structure when it happens as a business we supported recently that it was just some light touch involvement for six months and then he was completely done and all cash out uh, but it was because that owner had started working on exactly that scenario two to three years beforehand rather than getting an unpleasant surprise when you get into the deal we've identified a number of sort of different aspects to this there's the the sense of being overwhelmed the sense that the business that you were in control of at the start is now beyond your control because it has grown. There's the uh, the sense of isolation while you're running the business. There's the uh, the fear of letting go when it comes to exiting the business. I, it does make you wonder, are entrepreneurs, are business owners particularly prone to mental health challenges? I think it's a huge amount of pressure. Uh, I mean, I just see um, so many business owners over my time that they're under constant pressure. And I think it's that, again, that laser focus on everyone. And you are meant to be some kind of superhero. And I think more recently, entrepreneurs have been glamorized as well. I I don't think entrepreneur was maybe a word 20 years ago. When I certainly started out in the profession, it was much more mundane as an owner manager or a business, but entrepreneur is now quite a sexy term. And so uh, you are meant to be a man or woman of steel. And uh, I think it's also the case where they feel really reluctant to ask for help. And that in itself is a failing. So that's why maybe I've seen so many entrepreneurs over my time open up to us as their business advisors, their accountants. Mm-hmm. It's the only person that they can really relate to. And often they ask, well, what are other businesses yep. doing? How are other entrepreneurs dealing with this? Again, I'm not qualified in the same way that both of you are, Rob, Phil. Um, I've just seen lots and lots of examples about what chess pieces you could move around and what infrastructure you've put around and, and actually getting them to ask for help. But that's also a I find that's a real struggle as well to encourage them to go and seek out channels such as both of you and others as well in certain support network um, and talk to other entrepreneurs um, which they'll always say I don't have the time an inability to ask for help or a reluctance 
to ask for help. Is that one of the, Rob, is that one of the root causes? I don't think that it's that entrepreneurs are particularly prone to mental health issues, uh, albeit statistics would, would demonstrate that they are. I think it's that those who are prone to mental health issues are prone to becoming entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, this is the Brave podcast. I, I, so if it's okay to dive into it, you know, when, when, we're, when we're born into this world, um, we have a multiplicity of different upbringings and influences in our, in our life. And some of us are unconsciously seeking to prove to the world something that we're good enough or that we're seeking to make impact to, to, to satisfy an internal sense of I'm not whole and complete. So we go out into the world and think, well, the best way to do that is to set up my own business and then I'm not in with the crowd. And, and, and we go out into the world and what my, my observation, and this is certainly not true of all entrepreneurs, but a big chunk of entrepreneurs are really going after the opposite of what they're afraid of. That's the underlying motivation. Now, the degree to which they're prepared to admit that or even the degree to which they're conscious of it is a different thing, but they're not really pursuing a vision out of love they're pursuing a vision out of, well, if I can get to this goal, then I'll feel safe, secure, worthy, control, have the control of my life um, and feel loved, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the, the realization of that end can never deliver any of that. Why not? Because the, if, if I'm relying on my business or a chunk of money in the bank or something to make me feel whole, complete, worthy, secure, uh, loved, all the rest of it, then I'm placing... Um, my dependency for my mental health and my well-being and my happiness on something outside of me. And nothing outside of us can ever bring us that inner peace that we may, may be seeking. It might do in the moment, when, when I write the check, pick up the new car, open the door to the new house, in that moment I might feel, wow, I've really landed here, I'm, I'm, I, feel, I feel whole and complete. But what it is in the moment is it's the collapse of that core wound that we experience coming into the world, which is the belief that we're separate or somehow not good enough but the new house the new car the new relationship the selling the business how long does that how long does that leave us with that innate sense of wholeness and completeness and the answer for most people is well not very long they're off then seeking again uh, and and that seeking will never end might diminish it there's not you land a tens of millions in the bank and all the rest of it it might diminish it but the seeking will continue in some way shape or form because the motivation, the underlying motivation, wasn't wasn't coming from the heart, and that seeking never ends. It ne never it never ends. So, what brings the contentment the, that we it, are? It, the un the understanding that of who we really are, and that we are already whole, complete, secure, safe, loved, approved of, all the rest of it. By by nature of our of of being here, we're all of that. Um, you know, but we're 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 in essence we're mind, body, and spirit. We're spiritual beings uh, having a, if you want to use language that's, that some people might um, balk at, but we're spiritual beings here having a human experience, the mind being the vehicle, the mind and body being the vehicle for our true nature to have experience. And unless we embrace our true nature, we're always, and, and if we only identify as a mind and body, we're always going to be feeling like we're missing something and trying to put our finger on, well, what what is it I'm missing? If I can just get that relationship, that money in the bank, that car, that house, that boat, and then, and then it's just perpetual. The problem is that when we do get the house or the car or the boat, in, a, in that moment, we, f we, we, get, we get what we were looking for. But really what, what we've got is that it's, we've been taken out of the mind. 
but that drive is so powerful. Massively, yeah. I, I wonder, Phil, how we begin to step away from it. How do we step away from this path, which Rob indicates does not bring satisfaction in the end, and put ourselves towards a, a pathway that does? I mean, to me, the word awareness is kind of the bridge between one life and a, a different choice of, of life. So just, just awareness of uh, the kind of things that Rob would talk about uh, there, which I'm not going to attempt to articulate my, myself, but in my simplified version of that, you know, waking up to the facts that I was actually responsible fully, wholly for whatever I was experiencing was the inflection point in, in my life to actually feeling like uh, I am in control of me and my business rather than business being in, in control of me. Because uh, the empowerment that comes with that um, is, is just transformational. I think it's it's important to ask because what Rob has described is the, uh, I suspect, an instinct that drives many entrepreneurs and business owners. But I don't think saying that you've got to stop all that and do something else is... No, I'm not saying that at all, no, absolutely. So, what, but so I, I'm saying that, uh, you know, to, to pick up on Pill's point, it's very easy to go through our business journey um as a perpetual problem solver you know it's it, it, business is often seen as a you know the journey to the end is about getting good at certain things and fixing certain problems along the way uh, and and often we're we're um we're we're coming at business and decisions really using through a lens of it's subtle but through a lens of fear rather than what would i love what would i love here rather than here's a problem that's cropped up how do we fix that problem? That's a fear-based response. It's a, um, so how do we fix the problem? We I've got to fix it or yeah, else. Yeah. yeah, and we might fix it. We might well fix it. But if we haven't learned the lesson, what happens is we end up playing whack-a-mole. Hmm. And another problem over here crops up, and it looks different, and it is different, but it's contextually it's the same. And we can solve a business problem, but we'll find that actually, unless we really learn the lesson, we're going to keep having to solve problems in our life. I'm struck listening to the story from both of you that those around us, those who love us, sometimes realise before we do that there's a challenge that has to be addressed. And I wonder is that the if we try to build sort of a a, a, a toolkit or a, a self-help kit, that that's the first stage. It's to be aware of what others are saying to us about ourselves. On the carbon copy of what Rob said earlier on, I don't know how many years it was that my wife was telling me I really should get some kind of help. Um, the issue was I didn't want to hear it. Um, I couldn't hear it. I, I, you know, how exactly one breaks that down, um, I, I don't know. But in terms of just trying to advocate to others, um, if you start to get feedback from, from others, please listen to it and do do something about it because there is no smoke without fire on on this kind of topic well, yeah, and if I, if I can i mean i think i think i think it's not that others recognize it first i think my experience and my observation and I don't know about your experience first we we knew it we know it well, a lot of, we know it a long time before we get external feedback it's yeah, just that's why you get so angry when somebody points yeah, it out right? are we willing to are we willing <clears throat> to accept it we block it out we just, yeah, we, or, or we think that we're going to, come Monday, I'll do, go into the office and I'll do this, this, this and this and then my problems will be sorted. Or, or 
you know, next quarter or next. But we, yeah, we don't we don't want to accept it or admit it or acknowledge it because the outside world, when we socialise or meet friends for a beer or go for a restaurant, everyone else looks like they're having a lovely life. So how can I show my hand here that actually I'm not? But we don't know that everybody's having a lovely life because they're just showing up the same way they're that you are. They're just giving the impression. They're just yeah. wearing a mask and. So it's how willing am I to accept it first here and, and then share it in a way that's supportive. It's really difficult as well for the partner. I've, I've seen this in situations where the entrepreneur is the driving force behind the whole relationship as well. And for the spouse, the partner, it's very difficult to give that feedback as well. Uh, yes. I've been sat in meetings with both the, the, the couple mm-hmm. and one or both one of the parties has left the meeting just for a moment to go to the bathroom or to the photocopier and the other one's broken down and not knowing then how to be able to even talk to them because giving that feedback mm. around I think you're struggling I think there's real issues here I've seen the other side then lash out to say well it's because I work too much Is it, are you jealous of my relationship with my business because I'm not seeing the kids I'm not going to the football matches you 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 want all my time and that's really difficult um and having to then try and empathize and sympathize again I've been on that side of the of the table where um the wife the husband has broken down in tears because they don't know what to do next and they're turning again to me and I'm again I'm not the expert here but how do we open up that conversation in a practical way or how do they get help Um, because they don't know either and they're often not involved in the business the same even to a a tiny degree they're maybe the homemaker and they're looking after the children so the relatability may be lost as well but actually that person has more relatability than what you'd know Uh, they live and breathe it actually just as much as the other person does as well and to open up that conversation I think is really difficult is this the starting point is to have the conversation to have to have the awareness and then you know, we talked about a reluctance to to act for help. I'm, I'm sort of trying to get a sense of how we can help people listening to this discussion who might be thinking, gosh, some of this actually sounds like me. I mean, it's never too early to start on this on this journey. I guess that, you know, the message I would love to get out to all entrepreneurs and founders is that um, do you realise that by founding a business statistically you are signing yourself up for the subset of society that is most likely to suffer from depression and anxiety and sleepless nights and substance abuse and and all those kind of things because if you're aware of that from the start why wouldn't you proact on that to to get yourself in in shape from the start of the journey Um, and yet you know we don't we don't tend to do that but as you know as as we've acknowledged already in this room you know this is this is not a common conversation currently it's it's starting thankfully to filter into society to talk about this kind of stuff for 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 entrepreneurs but um there's there's a long way to go with it and you know i don't i don't know the point at which it just becomes the first thing you do when you found a business is get yourself into sort of good mental hygiene habits rob if there are people listening to this business owners entrepreneurs listening to this who have a a tremor a chord yep. of recognition are there steps they should be taking I'm, I'm conscious that saying how do you fix it is yeah it, rather trite because it's 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 not like a spreadsheet this no I mean there is a very simple answer but it's too simple the, the irony being and is that it's too simple for us to accept we we, we reject the simplicity of it um, 
so for me, I think when there's a discord in our lives between what's showing up in our experience in a business context, let's say we've got issues in our business that are not in harmony with our desires. I think this, the if, if you really want to shift that quickly and in, with the least cost and effort, it's to acknowledge that that's coming from you. It's, that can be really hard to accept, but the world is just a mirror showing us who, not what we're doing or what we want, but who we're being. You know, we're human beings, not human doings. And it's this obsession with, well, if I do this, then I'll have this. Well, you won't unless you be it first. You know, life's about deeper levels of receptivity based on our on our on our beingness and we're we have the ability I believe business is the ultimate spiritual journey we're going to bump into each other as we grow our business and we have to keep taking off our masks of limitation and replacing them with different masks so that we can enjoy the next phase of growth without that willingness we can spin around and we can try and find remedies but it's going to be exhausting in terms of helping people who are listening is there anywhere they can go for help is there any advice that any of you can offer uh, yes I mean on, on reflection I look back and realize that uh, w- one of the things I absolutely suffered from was it's come up already in here but was uh, I think they call it s- social isolation which is a critical risk factor for depression or suicide or all, all those kind of things and I truly felt I was alone I was not aware at the time which says more about me than anything else but I was not aware of the fact that there is so much support out there and available um, and there probably is more now than there was then but in in particular um i get wheeled out from time to time to talk to groups of business owners and that there are various organizations out there or peer-to-peer learning uh, groups for business owners Uh, my observation is that learning is just part of what they do they actually offer each other a huge level of emotional support it was unbelievably moving during the pandemic to to see how you know some business owners were able to support others from an emotional point of view so if I had my time again, um, that is something I would absolutely focus on. And in relation to that, you know, whether you want to call it a coach or an advisor or a mentor or, or, or something like that, but one who puts you before the business, because the vast majority of advisors for business owners and CEOs, it's about the business first, and they might end up talking a bit about you as an individual. But my, my belief is if you flip that, you get a bit of better business and you enjoy the, you enjoy the ride. So an advisor who would have you as an individual? Front of mind. Front of mind. Totally, yeah. Well, at times that's been a a difficult discussion, but I hope ultimately a a helpful and enlightening one. Phil and Rob, thank you both for sharing so generously of your stories and uh, your experience. And Nimesh, thank you for adding um, the extraordinary context and Uh, and background to this that you've been able to bring to our discussion as well if you're struggling with your mental health and you need some help then there are a range of options available including contacting the nhs mental health helpline uh, your local doctor your gp uh, by dialing 111 or contacting the samaritans or the shout crisis text line The mental health charity Mind also has a range of useful resources on its website to help. If you'd like to listen to other Brave Business episodes, you can find them on your favourite podcast service. For further insights to help entrepreneurial businesses, you can visit Blick Rothenberg's Entrepreneurs Hub. That's www.blickrothenberg.com slash entrepreneurs. 
I'm Declan Curry. This has been the Blick Rothenberg Brave Business Podcast. Thank you for being part of our conversation.